This episode of Earl Grey is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 150,000 titles for iPhone, iPad, and iPod, Android, Kindle, Windows Phone, plus Mac or PC. To get a free audiobook of your choice, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. Hi, this is Marina Sirtis, Deanna Troy from Star Trek The Next Generation. You're listening to Trek FM. T.L. Grey, hot. It's time for another serving of Earl Grey, our dedicated TNG show. I'm Philip Gilfus, sitting in the center chair this week. I'm joined by my co-host, on my left, the new Federation Ambassador to the Cardassian Union, Daniel Pru. Daniel, how are you getting ready for your new position? Well, you know, it's it's been a long, very long and bloody war. A lot of death and, and cash. I mean, you know, you might not have known about it because it wasn't necessarily in all the papers, Philip, you know, unless you're really up on these things. And I know you, you, you kind of don't care about, you know, political events and, and war. But listen, these things were happening and real fake people were dying. So, uh, you know, I, I've been just trying to, you know, go over the briefings and and uh, I haven't actually met a Cardassian yet, so uh, I guess maybe I should do that first. Okay, well, if you love football helmets, I'm just going to say you're going to love Cardassian Prime. All right, well, I'm also joined, and this is, this is pretty cool, straight from the McKee Task Force at Starfleet Headquarters, Lieutenant Commander Darren Moser. Now, Commander, what's it been like getting those admirals in line with your new plan? Look, I, I, I just want to say, I mean, I'm trying to be modest here, but I cut through the crap, okay? I got us on track. But, I mean, there's just one admiral. He's been giving me these really weird looks across the table. But, you know, besides <laughs> that, I think I think we're good. We're going to have this Maquis task force built into a giant fleet within, like, five years. I think that's the way to go. Wow. Full militarization. Uh, because, as we all know, Federation is a military organization. Exactly. Now, now is this going to be like twice or like four times as powerful as the Mars defense perimeter? Um, <laughs> you know, on a scale of one to Mars defense perimeter, <laughs> <laughs> that is the smallest scale in the history of scale. This is an eight thousand. Okay, so take. I'll let you do the math. Okay, it's pretty. It's pretty big stuff. What is a one? I, I'm just really curious. <laughs> That's no, the no, shuttle Galileo. That uh, I think, that, uh, I think if there was one. It would have been pew. I think, been. I think a one is like a scarecrow, like just hanging out on Mars or something. <laughs> the Borg scarecrow. I think that was. Yeah. Well. Borg scarecrows are not the only thing we've been talking. Oh no! Um, as 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 folks may may have gotten from that intro, we're going to talk about something. You know, when we talk about the next generation, you know, you don't often hear about the the, the continual stories or or this continual storyline or arcs. You know, because obviously it's more episodic series. But we've talked before about the Klingon storyline. You know, that starts with sins of the father and kind of goes throughout with the Romulan intrigue and. And the Dura sisters and, and Daniel's favorite Yar daughter. You know, that's kind of an arc. But there's actually another arc that comes later in The Next Generation. And that's with the Cardassians and then the Maquis. And then, of course, we never hear from either of those two things again. 
No, no, no. That's obviously the the the, the pilot for both a subsequent TV series of Deep Space Nine and Voyager. So, but we want to we want to talk about this week the Cardassian and the Maquis storylines in TNG. Um, and so the first thing I, do, I wanted to start off with is what sort of Daniel alluded to is, of course, what we always love to talk about. I mean, the songs that we have sung about the bloody, bloody Cardassian War. And I know we don't need to tell you all about it, but, but you know, the set like three um, play we do every every year. Uh, I mean, the kids, you know, they, they just do it so good. Um, I mean, doesn't it go like... Well, you, you, you've not seen the kids set lick three play unless you've seen it in the original Klingon. So that's that's very true. Is that Darren. the same play as the crystalline entity drawings? Was that the same art class? Exactly. It is. It is. That's very look uh, out the window and draw, Johnny. I don't care. <laughs> very, very progressive. Very dark. Emo uh, art teacher, but very very progressive. Um, but yeah, but I want to talk about the, the bloody bloody Cardassian War and the introduction of the Cardassians. And you know, we've done our own episode about the Cardassians, but this is sort of the, the foundation for this whole story. Um, I gave it very intellectual of the socio political situation of the Cardassian War, but but basically, this is the wounded. Um, and uh, Daniel, I'll, I'll pick on you um, because of not the how you feel about the Cardassians, but how the Cardassians made you feel about them. <laughs> um, but but with the you know with the introduction of the wounded and and you know not um, Goldicott, um, what was sort of this feeling of like this great war that just ended um, and this new alien race and and sort of what what what, what did you kind of get from the, from that episode and when, when the first introduction? You know it's it's hard to kind of separate the wounded um, from what we now know of Star Trek, right? So. Looking back on it, it's really easy to be like, wow, this is kind of where it started. And this is where this entire thing, like, I mean, you know, Deep Space Nine is super laser focused on the Cardassians. And we get basically an entire show that kind of shows the the, the fallout. And then even Voyager, of course, deals with this as, as well um, to a little bit of a lesser degree. But, you know, and and... It's hard to like see this episode and not think, oh, by the way, we're going to get seven seasons um, dealing with this race of people and and what's happening here. Uh, it, it, it's in, your, in my mind, it's very difficult to separate that. But like as an episode, it worked really well. I, honestly, if I were to just see that in a, in a vacuum without knowing what I know, I would have just been like, oh, that's just another thing that they threw in for the storyline but it's really, really inter- it's more it's much more interesting because we actually get to pick up on it for so much later on. And can you and I know it's hard for me, so but I'm asking you so you're on the hot spot. I mean, looking back on it, could you think like, you know what? Here's a race in a war we should talk about for, you know, seven or eight or nine more years. Or was it just like, oh, I think this is probably just a you know, one random episode and whatever. Yeah, if looking back on it, I would have thought that it was just a random thing. Like, that's why that's kind of where the joke comes from, level how we're like, oh, yeah, this war that's running this crazy, bloody war. Oh, no, it's not because it just came out of nowhere. Um, and and I would even argue that in that first appearance, you know, like most times that we you know get a, a new race, uh, it's not super compelling. I mean, they're interesting. Um, Marco Limo, of course, does a really good job being a creepy, slimy Cardassian because that's apparently what he was born to do. Um, so he's good as a foil. Um, I don't necessarily remember the Cardassians being super interesting f- 
just from that episode alone. But again, I'm uh, I'm like kind of retconning seven more seasons of stuff on top every time I see them. So it is kind of difficult to separate that. All right, and and Darren, how do you commemorate the bloody bloody Cardassian War? <laughs> I pour out a, a glass of Canar every anniversary, but. Uh... Yeah, I think there's some interesting things with with the wounded. One is again, it's the introduction of the Cardassians, which I mean, they've come a long way in the makeup department. I'm thinking <laughs> back to like, was it the Soleil snakes? I mean, it just looked terrible <laughs> in comparison. And instead, you get, I mean, they're interesting looking. Like you, you kind of want to know more about this species, um, whether or not the toy department will ever figure out which way the ship's supposed to go you know i don't know how many times i saw that in a star trek magazine is pointed the wrong way it's like no but uh it's interesting though because this it kind of keeps with the precedent and i know it's a different scale but you know it makes me think of best of both worlds where again we don't see the actual battle but we see the aftermath and so in that regards i mean we don't see this war but in some ways that that just works for the episode because we're seeing it through the remembrances of O'Brien and his captain and just, you know, in a, some way, I mean, it's a very different take instead of doing a flashback or something like that, which just wouldn't be Star Trek. But I, I enjoyed that method that they showed it to us, you know, showed in quotes. Well, you know, I, well, I'm thinking so many things. One, the more I say bloody, bloody Cardassian War. Now, I, I think that should be a musical um, because, of course, we have bloody, bloody uh, Andrew Jackson. Um, but also, like, it's also very Shakespearean in that the battles always take place off stage. And so, like, when you said that, that's always what struck me of, like, yeah, the Cardassian War. Like, if you move the camera, like, about five feet that way, you would just see the the space. Um, but it all, And then the last thing made me think of is, like, you know, a lot of – uh, TOS gets the fan projects like Axinar. Where is the TNG Bloody Bloody Cardassian War documentary? Well, let's let's see the Setlick Three. I want to see that <laughs> fan documentary. You know? Well, Setlick Setlick Three would would be the uh, that would be you know the culmination in the, the Setlick trilogy, of course. Yeah. So yeah, that would be, be the Captain Maxwell would be the you know, you'd be Commander Maxwell or something. I don't know. <laughs> Um, they get yeah, kids get that together for us. Thanks. Okay. Um, so, but, but that was sort of like the beginning of, of this, this new species and this war that, that ended. And it's sort of this kind of like, you know, yeah, we're, we're friends, frenemies. I don't know. Right. You know, it's like, oh, we signed a treaty and, and Picard usually gives his speech. Like he always does. Like whether it's the Romulans or like, you know, there's a treaty and I want us to be at peace, but you watch it guys. I'll, write you a strongly worded letter on this pad. Um, and so what we're next introduced to is this concept in Journey's End. And I don't know if it was mentioned in The Wounded, but the, the demilitarized zone, which comes in Journey's End. Um, and we get a little more details about the Cardassian Federation Treaty. Um, the much debated treaty, as, as, I, as I labeled it in the outline. Um, and there's just a, a whole lot going with it. This, if you if you really want to get into it, of course, this is the whole you know what the, the origins of the Maquis is this whole treaty that and you know I know our listeners know, but just quickly, um, apparently there's a demilitarized zone, and part of the treaty was that you know Cardassia gave up some you know 
it's not land, space, space, gave up some territory. And then the Federation gave up some territory, kind of. They had huge tracts of space. (laughs) (laughs) I'll trade your nothingness for some of my nothingness, and you're going (laughs) to like it. Look, Cardassia Prom is a swamp, and I built a tower, and that fell down. And then I built another tower. Um, but uh, I, I don't, I don't know what Darren. I, I mean, I know this is sort of like kind of geeky political intrigue, but like you know, in Journey's End, we have this thing about for those who don't remember, this is the Ball of Light Wesley Traveler episode. Um, but anyway, but the the thing is like it's Admiral Nechayev, it's the Native American planet, um. It's, you know, that they're in the Cardassian territory. Did it even get a name, or do we just know it as Native American the Native American yeah. planet? Um, and, and, you know, this is about, like, the Cardassians the and uh, part of the treaty that's now Cardassian territory. Um, and they don't want to leave, and da-da-da-da. It's insurrection. But anyway, so, Darren, I mean, this whole concept of the DMZ, of the, the you know, the much-debated treaty, what's this all about? I mean, Picard kind of, you know, fell through in this. I mean, look at the Sheliak. I mean, he negotiated that, you know, border timetable like a pro. But this one, I mean, they're already there by the time they get there. It's just like too late to do anything. But no, it's, I mean, again, it's an interesting conundrum. Not the episode. <laughs> wait, but wait, hold on. Wait, that Indian was not there the entire time. It's the Traveler. Oh, my God. The Traveler's <laughs> McDuff. But, yeah, where it's like, okay, what is, you know, the Federation, quote-unquote, is like the good guys. And so what did, uh, I can't believe the Federation are forcing these citizens, you know, to leave their planet. I guess this episode's kind of a harder sell than The Wounded because, again, it's telling us to reference or see it through the lens of this war that we haven't seen. And it's one thing to see it when you have Miles and... And you know, guiding us through his emotions, but with this one, it's it's all these new characters that we don't know that we're supposed to care about. Which I mean, we can we can definitely empathize with their plight, but you know, just having Wesley rally around them doesn't doesn't really work. You know, it's not in the same way as I don't know, it's like another planet or like oh. Beta Z ended up in the territory or whatever, like something major, you know, that would be, be interesting, but it's also hard because I mean, it, they never really show maps a lot in the TV show. They usually kind of leave that for the supplemental stuff. Cause it's like, once you put it on a map and it's canon, then you're kind of stuck, but boy, like Cardassians right next to Bajor, like dear Lord, they are really, really close. And it, I think, well, that would have kind of helped this episode is if we had seen more of like, okay, well, well, where is the Cardassian Union? And like, why, you know, why are we having this border skirmish or whatever? And it's just, um, I mean, I guess it kind of pays off in DS9 and, Vo- and then even more into Voyager, I guess. But, you know, I guess it kind of just falls back to the root issue of were the Maquis utilized? as what they were meant to be birthed in, in this episode. And, and I don't know. Now, Daniel, what is the difference between a neutral zone and a demilitarized zone? <laughs> um, you know, I don't know. Uh, I will say that, actually, I'm glad we're talking about this because this is one thing that's kind of always bothered me 
about the Maquis um, slash these these colonists, I guess is what we would call them. Federation citizens that, that are on these planets. Um, yeah, if, if you're kind of... Space is really big, right? And the Federation has lots and lots of... I mean, you may think it's a long way to the chemist. <laughs> but, oh, no. Lots and lots of planets and, you know, and lots of places to go. And um, they just refuse to leave for whatever... Like, they haven't even... I don't understand. Like, if the Cardassians are going to come and kill you, or you can leave and go to another planet. Like, these people aren't... I, wait, I got a great idea, Daniel. We're going to build a hollow ship, <laughs> and at night, we're going to beam the Native Americans onto it, and they'll never know. Well, this, this episode in particular, Journey's End, of course, like, really hits us over the head with this kind of relocation uh, you know, analogy because, of course, they're Native American people who have already been, uh, you know, mistreated and relocated and, and all of this stuff. But in this case, it's not like um, the Federation is like, you know, uh, violently relocating them in any way. Um, I, I, get, I mean, I understand the parallels, but it's it's also a little bit different to me, it seems. It's just to me, because there's so much place, there are so many other places that these people can go. I don't really understand why they feel the need to kind of rebel and kind of go against the Federation. Anyways, that's that's just like, some, a, like an insurrection. Wait, um, Philip, remind me, what's the name of that TOS alien species where the Klingons and the Federation beam Organians. down? And they just, yeah. Why can't the Organians just show up and be like, well... Federation, Cardassians, you're gonna have to share this planet because we're not gonna let oh you. Oh my fight. god, my face is too are hot. They now? I can't hold it. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, darn! Death will not come to me. <laughs> no, it's like it's like okay, all right, we're gonna Cardass. You, you know the the Klingons and the Federation. That is an epic battle. So to get them to stop it, they get the Organians, and it's like Cardassians. Yeah, they're a, a few levels down. Um, so it's like, who we're going to stop them? The Traveler. On a scale of one to the Mars defense <laughs> perimeter, they, where where they get are the they? Traveler? That's that's who's going to stop the. Uh... <sighs> so anyway, happy war, guys. Uh, you know, it's a. No. So is um, the, is the difference between a demilitarized zone and a neutral zone? Is it the length of time since your last open conflict? Maybe because we haven't fought the Romulans in about uh, what hundred years. And we just got out of war with the Cardassians. Maybe that's what it is. But Daniel, well, they're back. <laughs> <laughs> well, being, I mean, isn't it just a neutral zone is like you can have, or you, you can't have anything in a neutral zone. It's like, I don't have it. You don't have it. There's nothing there. But a demilitarized zone is I can have citizens there. They just can't have weapons. Yeah, and I mean, I'll admit it's it's a little confusing. I mean, of course, as we all know, there's real life DMZs in, in the world. I guess the most popular one that comes to mind is Korea. Um, the DMZ there is popular. The right word for that, there, <laughs> Philip. Um, but yeah, yeah I mean, I, I guess because you never hear of planets in the neutral zone with the Rom, at least the Rom. I mean, there was a Klingon neutral zone. If we really want to remember our the Cardassians history. are in the neutral Wasn't, zone. Wasn't um. The planet Glondoncore. No, that's not it. Was that is that it? The one from um Oh shoot, where Jordy's on the planet with the Romulan uh Yeah, something um, happened. Wasn't there. that in yeah. the neutral zone? The cards cards always talking about that place. <laughs> I'm the Battle sure. of Glondoncore. That was with the defector, wasn't it? Where they were building the alleged federate or the alleged Oh uh, yeah, that's right. Cloaked that's right, base. That's right, yeah. Yeah. 
I'm not pretty sure the one where they were stranded, called. where it was like lightning everywhere and Jordy couldn't see. Yeah, oh, jo- the, yeah, that's, um, that's the, the one I thought it was from. The enemy, thank you. That's yeah. what I couldn't think of. I'm pretty sure that planet is in the neutral zone because they both had to cross it in order to get to it or whatever. Yeah, I think I've seen it on a yes, map. But, but Daniel, um, first things first, there is no neutral zone, remember? Uh, uh-huh, uh-huh. Right. The Klingons in this time period. Oh. Um, <laughs> yeah, it, it, and it's interesting that we have, you know, it's always funny because, like, you know, the, the, the writers have to do the thesaurus of, like, this is the Klingon Empire, and this is the Cardassian, quick, what's the word that's not Empire? Uh, union. Union, and this is the Federation, you know. So, like, you know, well, we can't say neutral zone. We use neutral zone twice with the Klingons and Romans. we got to think of something else. DMZ, there like, is there, do either of you guys think there's a metaphor of who the Cardassians are? Like, I've always heard, like, they're supposed to be space Nazis, but I don't know if if I really... Um, yeah. I, I mean, considering Enterprise headed, like, actual Nazis. <laughs> well, sort of dumb. Uh, TOS. So did TOS, yeah. I mean, I, I get why people say that, and there are, like, I think some minor kind of... Uh, parallels there but no I, like the, the the occupation isn't yeah like the uh um like france or anything right 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 yeah so you know not like the mass extinction of the jews <laughs> right yeah, i mean no. you know i think gold you know Goldukat when he was going crazy was saying how he wanted to kill every single one of them but that wasn't ultimately they were using them as a label labor force not trying to kill them all um anyways you know we can get into that but that doesn't really matter uh, i don't I, I guess the I don't know. Um, I don't know. I don't know who I would yeah. say the uh, the Cardassians are. Now, and, and to me, and this is where I, I struggle with, because you know, we're, we're going to the Maquis in a second, but in order to understand the Maquis, we have to understand what the conflict's about. And I guess Journey's End, like you said, Daniel, you know, like, what would it be if there was some story about the shiny, happy planet where you don't care about the people? Oh, I'm, I was reading your insurrection review. I mean, okay. So Journey's End, if you, what would it is, if, like, it is hard for me to feel for these people because, like you said, you already said all the things, and in fact, is in the episode. I think one of the things I don't know if Picard or Admiral Nechev says it. Like they've only been on the planet thirty years. Yeah. You know, it's not like the Native American. I've lived in this place. You know, for my father's father's father's. It's like you. you, you. How many years until it's <laughs> not all right, Philip? And Ten it's, and it's twenty. A like, hundred. It's not like hard to get there or to go anywhere else it's like oh get in this ship and we'll be on a new planet in a week like across the galaxy like it's just there's no connection there's no effort there's no reason we got these prefab shelters you can choose gray or beige are you saying there's space fema (laughs) (laughs) or you can go to an actual settled planet where all of your needs are taken care of and you don't have to work for a living like if but but if you insist on doing it sure there are a thousand (laughs) or a star base base, there's but if i mean how many people do you guess are on this planet oh i think there's like 10 i mean they don't seem like there's a lot no of course i'm sure they might say it in the episode but it's been a while since i've seen it um because I, I guess i have trouble with the entire basis for the conflict and maybe it's because i'm not being empathetic enough because like I mean, here's the argument right the argument is like we live here and the far away bureaucrats traded our land to the cardassians and that's not fair but i'm like but we stopped a war. Like, I mean, <laughs> I mean, I, you know, yeah, I mean, I, I do feel sorry for you that you have to move, but like. And wouldn't they have a member on the Federation Council? Isn't the council made up of like every 
world. I would imagine. I, I would imagine colonies probably aren't represented in the same Wait, way. That, is there taxation uh, without representation? <laughs> <laughs> what What is the version of tea for the Federation that these people are like dumping over? No, but that's and and that's um, the exact blaster point, rifles, right? Like, okay. Oh, say they don't. Say that they don't have anybody on the council or whatever. But they're they're on this planet. There's this war going on, and they're clearly, obviously, not far from it, anyways. Because if they're going to be, if that territory is going to be seceded, uh, not seceded, but you know, given to the, to the um, Cardassians, they've got to be pretty close to that territory already, anyways. So I imagine that they've probably seen at least a little bit of conflict, or have certainly heard a lot about it. And okay, fine, the war ends. They give up your planet. They're they're not abandoning you. You they're going to give you transport to somewhere else you can go, literally anywhere else you want to go, and take care of all of your needs on the way there. When you get there, and then you're going to be set. What 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 is the and if you stay there, there the other people are going to come and kill you. I don't understand why this is such a big conflict. Like it, it, it's not like the Federation handed them a new pad and they're like, uh, yeah, check the the map. Actually, it's different now, and the border's on this side. Bye. Yeah, they didn't just. You they're know, not yeah. abandoning these people. These people can leave whenever they want. They want them to leave. They're going to these places. We we see like three episodes where Cisco and Picard and all of these other people are going to these planets trying to convince these people. Listen, guys, you're gonna get like your throat slit if you don't leave. Come with us. We'll take you. Let's go. What's the problem here? You, you, you know what the problem was? Data never went down there because if you need someone to convince the natives to get the heck off the planet because the bad guys are coming, <laughs> Data gets it done. You always choose Data. <laughs> I mean. Even if he loses his memory, it's not enough to stop him. He'll just well, but then maybe half the people get radiation poisoning in that in that particular case. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, is is success rate is still better <laughs> than Picard's? Um, but yeah, and 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 then here's my reverse question because I, I like to see things from the other side of the spoon. Um, you know, are there the other side of the are spoon. there Cardassians who are angry about the situation? Because remember. Not only is it Federation going to Cardassia, there's Cardassian territory going to the Federation. So, like, are there Cardassians like, big Cardassia pride, uh, that's my Cardassian voice, are giving away our land, and I'm in Federation territory, mwah, mwah. That's, that's a Cardassian, right? That's well, the thing is, um, there, th- I imagine that it's a different situation because it's not like the Federation people are going to come in and slaughter them. Like With kindness. With kindness, <laughs> or if they get to territory, we don't know if it occupies a planet. Like they might just get space. Wow, well, we got like the raw end of that planet deal, for a planet. <laughs> no, dang well, it! I'm pretty it's sure the final we got the raw end of this deal, no matter what. <laughs> they <laughs> they traded us some magic beans for all these colonies or something. <laughs> all I got was a rock. Look, Picard. If anyone's gonna have to live in this new world where the Cardassians and the Federation are at peace, we're gonna be the hardest. Living in it. <laughs> I really now want to see that. Like, like Cardassia, all right, what do you want to the Federation? Like, all oh, the planets, all right. Uh, well, Federation, we got some Cardassian space. Um, there's a uh, uh, space cubic of uh, space dust. There's a class three comet. Huh? Huh? Well, for now. It's it's in there for now, but it's, it's on its way out. So. <laughs> there's also this Nexus thing. Never mind. It's going um, <laughs> to... But yeah, yeah it's, it's, it, it's different for the Cardassians because they don't, I mean, I imagine they wouldn't want to live there when the uh, 
the the Federation moves in, but also I get the impression that the Cardassians can't really complain about what their government does, and um, <laughs> it's not allowed. Yeah, and they kind of just have to go where they're told. So it's thank little, you, it's Grand, thank you, Grand Leader, for allowing us the pleasure of leaving our planet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and and also this is, and I don't know, and you all know this, and our listeners may know this, but to me, there's a there's a very subdued character who I don't think gets enough credit, Gullivec shows up in all three series around this issue. Because he's apparently, I mean, I, and I, I just don't pay attention, I guess. Like, he's in charge, of, he's the Cardassian in charge of the DMZ. At least the Cardassian side, I suppose. Um, so he's in Journey's In, Golovec is. He's in Deep Space Nine. And he's in the first episode of Star Trek Voyager, the Caretaker. So Golovec is like the point of contact for all things DMZ. Not Dave Matthews, man. That's um, so okay, so we've talked about the beginning and the middle. So now let's talk about the big M. That's the Maquis. Um, so for for uh, you know, we kind of get this kind of journeys in like uh, people are unhappy, but then it, and it actually doesn't start in. To be fair, does not start in the next generation. The Maquis actually starts in an episode called. Let me look this one up. It's called the Maquis. Yeah, it's called the Maquis. Um, and, and on Deep Space Nine, then the Maquis parts one and two is when we actually get them, you know, named. Um, and then they pour over into Next Gen and Preemptive Strike. Um, and Daniel may be somewhat familiar with this episode. Um, and, and so, I, just for that, Darren. Um, so the Maquis, so, you know, you have the whole Cardassian thing. You have people who are grumbling, but you have an actual, like, organized, I mean... I don't want to say terrorist. I'll just say cell of people with weapons. Um, like, yeah, it's so the Maquis actually have like little fighters or whatever, you know, blah, blah, blah. We all know, but like, so what do you think of when the Maquis actually show up, Darren? Well, and then I'm trying to remember, but doesn't the Maquis seem to shift into being like a primarily Bajoran group? I I mean yeah. I'm trying I mean I know they have other members like I mean Chakotay's not Bajoran and his heart. He, but it's it's interesting. Yeah, no, no, it's not. They don't do that. It's just always a it's always a collective group. But yeah, it's I think it's it's just like every time we talk politics in Star Trek or Somebody money, leaves mad. It's just <laughs> well, it's, no, but it's just the or the defiant. <laughs> it's just, it's just always tricky when you're trying to create these. You know, okay, we have this resistance, you know, terrorist group, but it's like, but in this day and age, like, how do you do that? I mean, it's it's such a different scale, and it's such a. I mean, hitting one raiders, like, you know, guerrilla tactics. It's like, does that really work in three dimensional space warfare? Or is it just a numbers game of like ships? You know, do you have more than them or are you just going to get pounded? It's just, it's hard to design that I think in your head. Uh, but so I, yeah. So in that regard, I just, I don't understand what the marquee are supposed to be. And they, and again, it's their, their methods, their, I keep being told what they want and not shown, you know, it's just, I don't know. I don't, I don't quite get it now. And Daniel, you know, with preemptive strike, you know, we're supposed to get this. I'm going to use a very uh, specious term, 
the humanization of the Maquis. Um, you know, like, oh, they're just, they're like, it's an old grandpa. Oh, um, or, you know, this people and like, we're supposed to see that, that the other side, that's what they're all about. These are people we should be rooting for. Did you buy it, Daniel? I mean, why did the love of your life become a traitor, Daniel? That's why I'm <laughs> To be fair, I, I would argue she was probably never super loyal in the first place, but, uh, uh, well, you know, Darren mentioned the Bajor, the Bajora. Uh, before, and <laughs> of course, they're already natural en- enemies of the Cardassians, so it stands to reason that they would kind of stand opposed to them in any situation like that, anyways. Um, but I don't know. I don't know. Like, I just it's what is their end goal? I think at their most ambitious was with um, Eddington, and he and maybe somebody mentions independence. Yeah, okay, good luck with that one. You betrayed your uniform, <laughs> like. <laughs> Uh, no. And then, honestly, when, uh, in Voyager, and I can't remember the name of the episode because I'm not good with Voyager titles at all. Was but, it um, Death Quish? Oh, yeah. No, no, no. no. Wait, not Death. Um, um, I see what you did there. Um, no, no, no. It, it, oh, you're talking about the one where they find out that they're Maki yeah, friends Yeah, yeah, where they, like where, like, the Cardassians, like, yeah. you know, they, five or six, they you know. found them, uh, you know, a, like message from home or something like yeah, that. Yeah, they found them. Um, the Cardassians found the Maquis like a minor annoyance for a while, and then as soon as they turned their attention to them, they were destroyed. Pretty well, the, the Dominion. I I want to go out on a limb and say it's extreme risk. Yeah, I think it was the episode before Alana, that because yeah, that was her dealing with finding out. That's right. That's yeah. right. It's right around yeah. extreme risk. Yeah, and um, yeah, I guess it was the Dominion at that point that had kind of just turned its uh its attention. That's right, and it's just like, and it, I can just picture that the little Maquis being like, "Hey, we're free to fight." They're just squish, squish. <laughs> and they're just, 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 just wiping them out. And it's like, yeah, yeah, the Cardassians were nothing compared to the Dominion. Like they just, you poked the bear, and it just. <laughs> but even more than that, like it, it was just such a small movement. So I guess that is makes sense to me. I just, I don't know, man. I, I don't really know if it's worth kind of giving up everything that you had. To just refuse to move. I don't know. They're like yeah. that. You know that. You know, like the stereotypical old guy who doesn't want to move for the freeway Is this or the like, season uh, one Deep Space Nine episode with the member of the old guy that that Major Kira has to go. Oh, exactly. Yes, <laughs> that's exactly true. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Uh. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Or Kevin the Great and Powerful. Uh, and Kevin the Great. I mean, powerful. Kevin didn't want to yeah, move. Yeah. Uh, the guy from Up. He let that whole. Um, yeah, you know he's it's, okay. the the uh, the Maquis are just the old guy who doesn't want to move when it's time to you know when they're giving you a perfectly reasonable price for your for your land. So does that mean Wesley is Russell? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe. But no, that's exa- I mean that's a perfect analogy, Daniel. Like it's yeah, it's the it's the get off my lawn, get off my planet. You know, I shouldn't have to move, but. Like you said before, the Federation, like, they're going to take care of them. You know, they weren't just going to be out in the middle of the night. Who does that? Yeah, it's like, other than maybe, maybe, and we don't even know this, other than not consulting every individual, you know, on these planets, like Philip said, this is for a noble goal. This is for peace. This is for the end of war. And it's like they're they're not, not helping them. They're not not giving them assistance in anything that they need. I don't understand what their grievance is that is so great that they're they're so offended that they will literally, you know, 
trade in their 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 Federation citizenship and risk death for these crummy planets that are out in the middle of nowhere. So, so how does a planet take off one pip at a time in a dramatic <laughs> one fashion? Moon. One moon at a time just flies away. <laughs> one moon. <laughs> this, they, so they have like three star bases and they just. <laughs> <laughs> I think only O'Brien can do that, so it would take a while, I think. <laughs> That's no moon. Um, yeah, it, it really is hard to get with the Maquis, because I almost feel like, look, and I'm not here to, to, to be an apologist for the Cardassians, right? A lot <laughs> Bad, you know, juju with the Cardassian Union. Yeah, I'm not trying to. But you, you have this sort of, and this is in TNG, but, but also Deep Space Nine as well. But, you know, you have this uneasy alliance because you know we're allies is perhaps a strong word but you know we're whatever we have a treaty with them and we're trying to keep it so with the maquis you know we have to help the cardassians you know because the maquis are trying to drive a wedge between the union and the federation and so we kind of have to be like okay well we you know we're kind of on the cardassian side on this one we don't really want to be um and 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 this whole sort of like the Bajoran element to me almost seems like it doesn't really have anything to do with it. But like you all said, it's sort of like just thrown in there, like oh, and the Cardassians suck because of the occupation, so Bajorans join the Maquis. But I'm like, what does that have to do with the planets? And I don't know. Yeah, it's like it's trying to serve two masters. It's supposed to be. You know, you took our planet, we're mad, but then it's also like, oh, but you're also the Cardassians, so these other groups going to join in on the bandwagon. And I, it, it got kind of convoluted, but... I mean, kind of, it, it reminds me of oh, I'm, uh, training... Not, it's not training, that's not what it's called. It was the, the um, last episode of season one of Voyager, with, with all the, like, Tuvok boot camps, the Maquis. Um, you have, like, the people that are like, I just wanted to kill yeah. people. It's with the one with Shell. Yeah, and I mean, it's... Our favorite bowling. Yeah, I mean, even with Suter, and and even like with some Maquis people in Voyager, like they just joined the Maquis because they didn't have anything else to do with their life. Like they didn't have any like, I want to be a noble goal. Just like, eh, I like killing people. Kind of just concluding on the arc here. Um, I mean, Daniel, did you think that the the Cardassian Maquis story arc, which you know we we can say it was just to set up the two shows, but I mean, did you think that it added anything to TNG, or did you just think it was sort of like a spring back backdoor pilots? Well, uh, the the pre-pilots. Yeah. It's well, it's hard for me to say because you know, Roe is so uh kind of intertwined with that storyline. So, uh I'm going to say it it did actually add a lot to TNG. A preemptive strike is a great episode um towards the end there. Literally, right towards the end. Um and also fit within the larger story that they were trying to tell. So um, I think it added to Star Trek in general. I, I mean, like, I complained about it, about the Maquis storyline, but I think that there was... I, I think the foundation, the kind of framework they built it around isn't super solid, but the idea is interesting. Like, what could kind of splinter uh, the Federation a little bit? Um not not so much that it's like a civil war or anything, but but enough where you know you have this kind of dichotomy of these people breaking off and doing their own thing and and kind of going against the Federation. Um, and at least, at the very least, it set up um, uh, you know a lot of Voyager and Deep Space Nine as well. Um, well, like you said, it was kind of intertwined with Deep Space Nine, but it it is really I think it's really 
interesting because of the tapestry that it is like starting with the wounded with the Cardassians. Uh, um, this whole fact that the Cardassians, the occupation, the Maquis, um, all of these things are foundational to kind of the 24th century Star Trek that we know and love um, and where we can see where these things started and the wounded and then maybe, you know, where the Cardassian Carda- arc ended in uh, what you leave behind or what, how the Maquis, you know, got destroyed like we were just talking about in uh, Voyager, even though we just we don't get to see it, but we just learn about it. Um, just really, that's to me, that's super interesting. And that does actually add a lot. Even if maybe all of the the edges are a little rough sometimes. What about you, Darren? Did you, did you think the Cardassian Maquis, all that stuff, added a lot to TNG, or or was it just sort of like a footnote? I I feel it kind of did. I what I wish the Maquis had done, or what or what they had done with the Maquis in, in Star Trek is set some firm rules, like with what they are and what they will and will not do and then stick with it. Like I feel like for Voyager, for example, I mean, how many times have we said, you know, we just never got this payoff of, Oh, it's a Maquis crew and a Starfleet crew. No, it's pretty much a Starfleet crew. And half of them just kind of complain. Like it, it didn't, you know, you, I mean, yes, they had extraordinary circumstances where they were far from home, but you know, the Maquis, they crumbled. Like but really we still labeled them specially, so we know. Yeah, yeah. So, and then in DS9, so I'm just saying like in Voyager, I wish they had, you know, had more conviction or, or you know, been more of a separate element. And then in, in Deep Space Nine, it, it started to get all folded into, well, you hate Cardassians, don't you Bajorans? Let's all, now it's like, which which group is this? And I feel like they, again, they used it, but I think if they had had like a set rule of what the Maquis was, because they were obviously trying to make it this name. Like if you said the Maquis, like it meant something like they, obviously that's what they were going for. But I feel that because it got so scattered and it didn't hold to its own principle of whatever it was trying to be, that it just was kind of a missed opportunity or, you know, this this faction. Maybe it's because of how it was birthed, how it was birthed out of Federation citizens versus, like, you know, the Tholians or some other race or species. It, I don't know. I, I guess, overall, I think it was just kind of a lost uh, opportunity that they, that episodic Star Trek just wasn't quite there yet. I mean, you could totally see modern sci-fi doing the Maquis really well. And just drawing the lines in the sand and and making them be terrorists and do bad things, but Star Trek just wasn't quite there yet in the '90s to to do that, to to have a terrorist splinter cell of the Federation really be what it needed to be to have that punch. That's well, what well I, you know, it's interesting because I, I guess you bring up a good point. I think that the, the Maquis were never explored because I, I think about it this way, right? You know, what, what do we often hear about, you know, Deep Space Nine? Oh, they flesh out everything. And, and I'm not saying that's not true. I'm just doing a weird voice. Um, but like, you know, they really, I mean, I, I'm not a fan of the, for the uniform, Meddington, Javert, because ugh. Right. Ugh, that's just me. But I, I'm not a fan of those episodes. It's just too hard played. But, um, but like, you know, because Voyager, obviously, kind of had the Maquis flag. So I think maybe Deep Space Nine was like, well, I mean, we 
we're going to leave the Maquis alone because that's on Voyager, right? You know, we it, we don't want to both talk about it, right? But, of course, Voyager didn't – which, again, I like Voyager. But, again, as we've said, you know, they didn't really do much. So, like, sort of just like, bleh, you know, just collapse yeah. over. They all kind of just let it drop. Mm. When it – especially with Voyager, I mean, that – again, we're looking at it in hindsight and we're looking at where they actually took the, the show. And not that they didn't have conflict with the Maquis, but it just – I don't know. For me, it just feels like they overall just folded really fast, and they just decided we'd have really want to deal with this. They're gonna be an integrated crew, you know, well, a Starfleet crew. It, yeah, be a Starfleet okay. crew. So playing devil's advocate, because I, I mean, I do kind of agree with that whole argument, but I will say, okay, what the the Maquis movement when Voyager starts is two years old, maybe three. Uh. So it's it's a very new thing. So like, okay, so you've been a Maquis since the beginning two years ago. Congratulations. Before that, you were a normal Federation member, uh, and, you know, and a normal citizen of the Federation. Now you're flung, you know, 60,000 light years away where these trade disputes and territories literally have no bearing or no meaning at all. So why would yeah. we have to argue and bicker about these tiny little details anymore? Like... These people aren't fundamentally different. That's kind of part of why I think that the that the uh, the whole framework is a little weak. But as far as Voyager is concerned, I mean, Chakotay was a uh, he, he he didn't he teach at the academy, um, I think uh, so. or something like that. Um, he was an officer, and you know, all these other people interacted with these people all the time, and if. If you disagreed with the how the Federation handled that trade or that uh, dispute, and then you're flung across the galaxy where none of that matters, who cares? Like at that point, why wouldn't everybody just be like, "Oh, well, we're just normal people trying to get home now. Why? Why does this matter anymore?" No, that's that's true, Daniel. You do a very good Fecklars at this. Yeah, and, and it is because you know the Maquis are, and this is my work, not y'all's. All letters to NC Public Service. The Maquis are sort of like the Star Wars of the Star Trek universe. Like, hey, we want people who shoot blasters and you know don't take any guff and blah blah blah. But it's it, but then when you do the logic, like you said, Daniel, like they weren't this way forever. It's not like they just like boom. Here's Maquis. Like, no, two days ago or two years ago, you were Johnny Federation. You know. And now you're living the hard life of being a <laughs> rebel, and yeah, I mean, okay, I guess. Um, I mean, it's not yeah, because to me, it does bleed together this whole like the Bajoran occupation and the um, and the the what's it called the Bajoran rebellion? That's not what it's called. Um, uh, the underground or whatever it's called. Um, the so circle that Kira was in resistance. Resist, sorry, oh, yeah. Just the resistance. It's not like the resistance, yeah. right? Because that's, like, to me, that bleeds together, like, the Maquis are supposed to be, like, the resistance. But it's, like, it's not really. I mean, like, you know. Yeah, it's, it's just it's just not the same. Because this is something super new. They're so, resistance wannabes. Yeah, I said it. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. Totally, yeah. Yeah, and and then the last thing, I mean, unless y'all want to have to say anything. I mean, the last thing I do want to say, though, even in this discussion, even though we were being kind of critiqued about it, but, like, even though some of this was, you know, we, TNG started it, and then DS9 developed it, and then TNG did play with it a little bit before we, we warped off into the sunset. Um, you know, it is very, this whole, like, 
TNG's perfect, the world's perfect, no conflict. None of this is that. Um, Maquis, Journey's End, The Wounded, when you have, you know, a Federation captain just, like, killing civilians, you have um, Federation citizens, you know, killing Cardassians. Like, this is not perfect TNG that we always hear about. So it certainly adds that sort of conflict of, like, not it's not one big happy Federation. Yeah, I mean, we're on the path towards... Was it um, Homefront? You know, in DS Nine, where it's like, yeah, it's this Paradise Lost and all mm-hmm. that. You know that that's really where they definitely get into that kind of a aspect of what if what is what's the Federation like on a bad day? You know, when it's all not replicators and happiness. You know, it's just yeah, replicators and hollow sweets. You know, but uh, yeah, but it's just. Again, I kind of go back to that point of, but we still don't know who the Maquis are. They're this name slapped on a people that we're supposed to care about. And we're selling it. And we're selling it. And we're selling it. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And before we knew what we had, we packaged it and we slapped it on a lunchbox and we sold it. We sold it. Slapped it it on a tiny starfighter. But I just feel... (laughs) I just feel if they had made it another race or something that we knew that we had some side of attachment already to, instead of just this eclectic band of tattooed people. Like, I don't know. It just, it could have been Are so they, like, much more. riding like space Harley Davidson's. <laughs> Their biker jackets are awesome. <laughs> they are. Have you seen the Maquis leather? That is some cool leather. Oh, well. All right. So any any last thoughts on, on the bloody, bloody Cardassian War and the generations? <laughs> Is that what we were talking about? <laughs> I feel like the topic... You've forgotten the war already, Darren. Bit. You've forgotten it already. Like, I made a small memorial and everything. I, <laughs> I was wearing this poppy. Sorry, I was going to say, yeah, you know, I, I, I just... I like... I like that this... Something like The Wounded. And I don't know. I mean, The Wounded is in Season 4... Um, Deep Space Nine premiered in season six. I, I imagine that, um, at least they had the idea kicking around of another show. I don't know how far in development it was at the time. Um, but you've you've got to. Th- if it wasn't conscious that this episode was kind of setting up, you know, it's a it's an first of all, it's an O'Brien episode, right? Who obviously goes over there. It's a Cardassian episode. It's got uh, Golden Continent. I mean, it's it's almost by virtue of itself a perfect setup for Deep Space Nine. And then, so you get this whole Cardassian conflict. Then you get this whole uh, the Bajoran uh, aspect of it with Ensign Rowe and Preemptive Strike, and then the Maquis. We we have been kind of nitpicking it and saying uh, you know, our issues with it, but it's it's something that you may not consciously think about a lot, but it is kind of the foundation for where how how these shows have split off from TNG and where they start and then where they go, and uh, that's interesting to me. It's interesting that it's for both of those shows. It kind of boils down to um, this one really boring insignificant system no i'm kidding i'm, te- I'm teasing but uh you know this conflict for well first of all this conflict that really that we never got to see 
um, which was the Cardassian War, and then of course the fallout from that, and that's interesting to me. And um, I, I think that's a really cool thing. And like Darren mentioned earlier, if this was produced today, it would have been so much more intertwined and so much more weaved together, and, and all of this kind of serialized stuff. But I think, I mean, it's kind of unprecedented what they did at the time, right? I mean, in the in the mid '90s to kind of weave these storylines together in a way that they're essentially all standalone. You don't ever, you don't have to watch preemptive strike to get the Maquis part one and two, or, or I'm, I'm butchering, butchering the, the titles or the order, but you know what I'm saying? Um, you don't have to watch the wounded to, to, to get a sense of what's going on in deep space nine, but it's interesting. And it's certainly referenced multiple times with the set like three and all of this stuff. So, you know, it's cool. To, it's cool to kind of look at it as a franchise-wide storyline uh, and go with it from there. Yeah, I feel I feel we kind of already fixed it a bit when we did our pre-pilot cold open uh, in episode 114 when we rewrote kind of Caretaker because we, remember, we showed a lot. Well, we didn't rewrite Caretaker. We rewrote the episode of ENG, like, leading into it. But, but we showed a lot more of the Maquis. We showed Chakotay and we showed their plight and it really became that kickoff Maquis episode for Voyager. So yeah, I just, I mean, it's not terrible. I just feel that they, it wasn't, you know, TV or, or Trek wasn't ready to really use this literary device of a group, you know, to its potential. Well, the bloody, bloody Cardassian War and the Maquis aftermath is not the only thing we've been talking about this week. Here's a quick look at what else you may have missed this week on Trek FM. Previously on Trek.FM, Standard Orbit. Usually Mike and I are like, what's going on? Our heads are just spinning like, what? I don't understand what's going on, you know? And like, you know, when I listen to that, I'm like, are we like, you know, bad? <laughs> the orb. He requests, you know, a Bajoran officer to serve with him yeah. on purpose. You know, he understands. You make this their own. We can't. I'm glad just- he did it on purpose. I could see him like accidentally requesting a Bajoran officer. <laughs> oh man, I, I checked the wrong box on the form. Damn. <laughs> the ready room. Actually, I think at this point, Vulcan Love Slave was probably just a short story, right? It hadn't been turned into a full. <laughs> That's blown right. It's not a full novel. blown novel at that point. Yeah, it's yeah. just fanfic. It's just fanfic. Yeah, it's just, just fanfic. Right? <laughs> <laughs> just on the internet, people started writing after first contact there in Montana. To the journey. It's a very much the genesis of Seven of Nine. Genesis. Genesis. Genesis allowed us not. Sorry. Commentary, Trek Stars. So we're closing in on the World Series is what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. Of course, the Sox were able to win the World Series in, you know, 12 games. So we're no White Sox, but we're like the Cubs or something. (laughs) Oh, no, wait. They didn't win the World Series. Never mind. Never mind. The 602 Club. To speak back to the lightsaber overall, I mean, it was practical reasons that they switched it to green. But I've always loved the fact that Luke had that green saber even when I was a kid like it's really cool it's an immediate visual signal you know even outside of the outfit that he's wearing that he's he's a different kind of person than even we saw in the previous film and I just I really like that literary treks the 
pinnacle of episodes that we've ever done on that was probably when we had Tristan from To the Journey on to talk about some Voyager comics. And <laughs> we ended up, that show was named Two Box Remedial School for Badasses or something of that nature. So, I mean, yeah, these old comics can just be very, very fun. Meta Trex. I looked it up, and ornare is the Latin word for to adorn. That's fascinating. So I looked up breca, and it turns out the same spelling, B-R-E-K-K-A, is Old Norse for slope or hillside. And that, listeners, is something you will only get right here on Metatrex. Better living through etymology. (laughs) And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. So check out these shows to get in on the Daily Trek Talk. You'll find them in iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, the Windows Podcast Directory for Xbox and Zoom. Visit the Trek.fm website for the full Trek experience. You can view our podcast directory to stream the audio from all of our shows. If you would like to contact us, just go to Trek.fm contact. From there, choose Message to a Trek FM Show and select Earl Grey. These messages will be relayed by Starfleet to the three of us. In social media, you'll find us on Facebook.com slash TrekFM or join our Facebook listener discussion group called The Babel Conference. Find it by searching The Babel Conference on Facebook. Now let's take a moment to talk about our sponsor this week, Audible.com. Audible is a great way for you to read all the books you've always wanted to read but never thought you'd have time for. This is the premier source for audiobooks with more than 150,000 titles to choose from and new titles coming every week. From classics to current bestsellers and even some of the most famous Star Trek books like Prime Directive, Federation, and Spock's World, Audible has something for everyone. Now, as a Trek FM listener, you can get a free audiobook of your choice, along with a 30-day trial to see just how great Audible is. So give it a try today. Catch up on all those classic Star Trek books you've yet to read. Just go to audibletrial.com slash trekfm and sign up today. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash trekfm, and we thank Audible for supporting Earl Grey and Trek FM. There's one more way you can directly help us to keep Earl Grey coming to you each and every week, and that's through becoming a patron of Trek FM. By visiting patreon.com slash trek.fm, you can choose among various pledge levels and receive rewards for becoming a Trek.fm patron. These rewards let you inside the observation lounge of our network and make it possible for us to distribute all our great content. So please become a patron and visit patreon.com slash trek.fm today. All right, Daniel, um, it, when folks want to know what Maquis tattoo you're getting next, how can oh, they reach you on the internet? Uh, well, uh, uh, mine will be bigger and they can get a hold of me, uh, at one up Dan on Twitter. That is the number one, not the word. All right. And Darren, if folks want to get in touch with you about your, um, songs of the Cardassian war collection that you're making, I think you're on the three disc or four disc, uh, collection. Um, where can they reach you on the internet? They can find me on Twitter under username Dr. Sci-Fi. That's D-R-S-C-I-F-I. And if folks want to help me uh, raise money for the um, bloody, bloody statue I'm going to make in memorial, um, they can find me um, on Twitter at NC Public Servant. That's NC for No Cardassian Memorials. I mean, where are they? Where are they? All right, guys. Well, um, I mean, it's, it's been great talking about this. Um, I'm uh, actually going to do a, a Gullivec marathon um, uh, right now, so it's, it's going to be pretty cool here. Um, all the Cardassian you want um, with a nice, nice warm bottle of Canard. So until next week, make it so. Live long and prosper. Endgame. Fire. Fire.